0: Um <laughs> yeah about um three years ago um I was in Australia and I started reading um the book of uh judges and uh i don't know why I started with judges there were it, i've always liked that book, and so when i finished uh judges i just i just kept going and um i read um I read sometimes half a chapter, or sometimes three chapters, or uh, sometimes just a few verses uh, every day as I um, start my day off. And it's some people are like marathon runners, where they dig it into the book and they and they figured out how many chapters a day they have to read in order to read the Bible in a year or whatever. And I, I take more of the uh, the, me- the meandering um, wander through the Bible. And if you find a good spot, you uh, lie down and, and sit under a tree and read it for a while. And then if there's parts that are kind of boring, you pick up the pace and, and run through the genealogies or whatever. But it took me, um, well, two and a half years. Um, yesterday, I finished Revelation. And so I'm right, I, this morning, I started in, uh, in Genesis to catch up to Judges. And around the new year, uh, around January first, second, um, I started Revelation, and in the in the first few chapters of Revelation, uh, you remember that um, Jesus talked to, or he, he told John, who was exiled on the Isle, the isle of Patmos, to uh, write seven letters to seven churches with a warning. And he warned, you know, some churches about, like he said, I see your good deeds, but this one thing I have against you, you've, you've lost your first love. Uh, another church, he said, you know, you're lukewarm. You know, you're neither hot or cold. Another church, he said, you know, you're caving to sexual immorality. And uh, he always started off by saying something positive, And then he said, but here's here's what you need to work on. And so I, one morning I... I closed my Bible and I said, "Um, God, what do you see when you look at community gospel? When you you see our church, what do you see? And then I waited. And he showed me the most bizarre thing. He showed me a hand grenade. And I thought, no, that's just, you know, that's just random, you know, just something that... I thought of on my own or whatever, but it, but it was really clear this picture of a grenade, and so um over the next couple days i w- I was praying into what is this what does this really mean what first off, you know what is a what is a grenade and and how would a church be a grenade when i was uh, When I was a teenager, my best friend uh, lived across the road from me, and his grandpa was in the war. And he had all this really cool war stuff and, um, you know, badges and knives and stuff. And he had a grenade that was, didn't have any powder in it, but it, it was a regular grenade. And it had a, like a body and it had a pin and it had a handle. And when you pulled the pin, the handle, and let go of the handle, there was about four seconds before it blew up. And so you you've seen the movies. You pull the pin and you, you throw the thing, and then it it blows up four seconds later. And Brad Pitt and Tom Cruise can th- grab the grenade and throw it back, but normally you don't have that time. It it goes when it when it lands. And um, <clears throat> we we just had a lot of fun with the grenade. We would you know if we were sitting in the rec room or something, he would pull the pin and throw it over. Think fast, you know, and we'd you know we'd laugh and. We took it to school once, um, and surprised Mr. Weber, our uh, our history teacher, who gave us a mark that we thought was a bit lower. And so we went in early, and said, um, "You know, Mr. Weber, we'd like you to reconsider that mark." And we pulled the pin and set it on his desk, and uh, <clears throat> yeah, he didn't think it was that funny. <laughs> anyway. So the whole, the whole idea then of the church being a grenade implies that there is a power within and there's something that triggers that power that goes into enemy territory and does significant damage. It was really interesting when Randy said the word combatant was the word that he heard. And we are in a spiritual war. And as we battle the enemy we need to pull a pin and and throw it into his darkness and to see the flash of light and to see the damage done to the kingdom of darkness. In in the book of Acts, it starts with Jesus um, talking to his disciples on the mount just before he ascends to heaven. And he said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you'll be my witnesses in Judea and Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the rest of the world. You will receive power. And, and the word power, I'm, I'm not a Greek scholar by any means. But the word power uh, comes from the word dynamis. Which is the root word for dynamite. You will receive dynamite when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And the power will come in order to be witnesses. So I <clears throat> I took a, a wander through Acts. And uh, if, if you want to turn to it, um, the first one I want to look at is Acts 10, starting at verse 1. And I'll tell the story, but uh, by all means check it out because I encourage people to read the text. And if you think that I'm off base, by all means track me down and tell me because I don't want to be teaching heresy but the first, the first this power thing that I want to look at today is when um, Peter is uh, dealing with a guy named Cornelius and so Cornelius is a Roman official and he lives uh, far away from where Peter is and Cornelius it says he's a man of prayer and a man of generosity and we don't know that he's a Christian but, he, but he's known for praying and for giving. And in a, in a vision, Cornelius um, sees Peter, and he knows that he needs to invite Peter down to see him. And so he sends a couple of his servants up to the place where Peter is staying. So Peter's up um, wherever he is, and uh, he's, it's lunchtime. And so he goes into this room and waits for lunch to be served. And it says he, he falls into a trance. And in the trance, he sees this this big sheet lowered down in front of him. And there's all these different birds and animals and snakes and stuff that, that a Jew would never dream of eating. And, uh, and Jesus says, go ahead, um, kill and, and eat. And Peter says... I can't. I I would never do that. It's it's unclean. And Jesus says, what I have said is clean, is clean. And so it happens three times, and this is the middle of the day, so it wasn't sort of a wonky dream at night that maybe it was whatever, but it happens three times in the middle of the day. And Peter is really confused about it all. And as he's confused, there's a knock on the door, and these guys are here, from Cornelius's house, and they said we would we want you to come back to talk to Cornelius. And so um, they stay there the rest of the day. And the next day, Peter and some of the other disciples they go back to Cornelius's house with him. And um, Cornelius, when he sees Peter, he he falls to the floor, worshiping him. And Peter says, "No, no, no, get get up! I'm I'm not a god." And Cornelius was a Roman official, and Peter, was a fisherman jew, and the two were at odds with each other, but the spirit had made it made it real clear to both of them that they were supposed to be together and so Cornelius says, you know who he is and that and that um an angel appeared to him and told him that he was supposed to talk to Peter. And Peter said he had this, this vision of this thing coming down. And, and basically, Peter explains who Jesus was, how he lived, how he died, how he was resurrected, and how the Spirit now lives inside of us. And Cornelius embraces the message. And it says his whole household, his family and his whole household became believers. And then something really bizarre happened. The Spirit came on them, and they all began speaking in tongues. Now in Acts, whenever people speak in tongues, it's always a sign to unbelievers. When Pentecost came and and all the disciples spoke in tongues, it was because there was thousands of people around him who all spoke different languages, and, and they could hear this being spoken. In this room... It was Peter and the disciples and Cornelius and his household, and they were speaking in tongues. And I think what it was was the Spirit was showing Peter and his disciples that they were now in as well. That the Holy Spirit wasn't just a Jew thing. The Holy Spirit was a Gentile. The the doors were blown wide open. And the spirit was speaking to the unbelief in the believers. Does that make sense? And they said, what prevents us from being baptized? And so Peter and the boys baptized the whole crowd. Now, it's the thing I find really interesting about that whole story is that Peter and the guys didn't go down as a rock star and just do all the stuff. But Peter needed Cornelius and Cornelius needed Peter. The, the spirit taught both of them different stuff through each other. And it was it was interesting that the spirit was working in Cornelius even before he was a believer. He he gave him a vision. He sent these guys to pick him up. Um, the, the spirit told his guys, which house Peter was in. The Spirit gave Peter the vision of this, um, foods that didn't used to be allowable were now acceptable. And Jesus was saying, Peter, I'm showing you something altogether new. I'm breaking through some old stuff. And this is the new stuff. And, and, and Cornelius is the guy that I'm showing you this through. And so they were learning about each other um, all, all under the same spirit. And I think sometimes we get the the feeling that as Christians, dealing with non-Christians, we're in control. We're, we're the rock star. We're the ones that need to lay it all out. When really, before we were Christians, God was at work in us. And so the spirit is at work in people around us, And we have as much to learn from them as they have to learn from us. It's a two-way street. And I think just like it was a revelation to Peter that the Gentiles were now part of it as well, there's probably people groups that we're overlooking that are part of the same family of God. There's 200 people that live in the water just out in Ganges Harbor right now. Did you know that? There's another couple hundred that live in the bush. There's people that live in their campers right in the middle of town and, and up behind Art Spring. They're all around us. What if the Spirit said, I want you to throw a grenade over in that group? I want you to be wide open to hearing what they have to say. Have them home for dinner. Get, get involved with them. Learn their name. It's, it's awkward. But just like Peter, when he saw the sheet come down, it was, it was something that was right outside of his mindset. And Jesus said, what I've called clean is now clean. Every, everybody that has a heartbeat is part of God's plan. The second one that I want to look at is, uh, is in Acts, uh, 16, starting at verse 16. And, uh, it's Paul and Sil- Silas, and they're in, um, Philippi. And they're, they're, they're on part of the, one of Paul's missionary trips. And they go in then, and, and they do their usual where they're, they're speaking around town, and, and there's a slave girl, um, who's a fortune teller, who's following them, crying out to them day after day, and, um, and it's a bit of a, a nuisance for, for, P, for Paul. And on one of the days, he, he turns around, and in Jesus' name, he casts out the evil spirit within her. And immediately, her owners sense that they're losing all this income because their fortune teller, demon-possessed fortune teller, is now no longer able to do that. And so they, they grab Paul and Silas. And there's a mob that gets going and they and they take them to the Roman officials and say, These guys are stirring up the city and speaking against Rome. And so the people in charge, the judge, has them stripped and beaten with rods, with wooden rods. And then they take them to the prison and they throw them in a the dungeon. And so Paul and Silas are deep in the prison. And it says, round about midnight peter or Paul and Silas are pray, praising God and singing hymns, and the other prisoners can all hear what's going on and as they're singing, the prison starts to shake, and not just one of those little tremors where you think was that was that an earthquake did did you feel that no i yeah yeah, maybe. But it was such that rocks were splitting and chains were breaking. Now, it's got to be a pretty severe shake for chains to break. And it said, all of the prisoners' chains fell off. And the jailer, hearing what was going on, rushes out, sees the doors open, sees the prisoners all free. And he gets his sword ready to kill himself because... If any of the prisoners escape, it's his neck on the line. And Paul cries out to him and said, Spare spare yourself. We're all here. And so the jailer realizes that there's something unusual about these guys. And he and he invites him to his home, and it says he, he tends to their wounds. And Paul explains the gospel to him. And his whole household become believers. So, if you <clears throat> if, if if you back up a bit, um, if you look at how we would feel if we were doing ministry, and we were grabbed for miraculously casting out some some spirit, evil spirit, and we were stripped and beaten in prison and then thrown in a dungeon we would probably be thinking, God, what are you doing? I'm, I'm really hurt. I got beat up for doing your work. Um, I'm offended, right, that I'm being treated like this. My back hurts. I'm bleeding. I don't have my clothes anymore. What are you doing? Like, airlift airlift me out of here. This, this is totally inappropriate. And yet Paul and Silas are the complete opposite. You can see him sitting there and, and Silas saying, Paul, what do you think? And Paul saying, Man, I don't know, this must be important. Look at these walls, look how look how thick they are. Look at these chains. God, God must really be up to something big here. Another chorus. And then Paul saying to Silas, Are, are you okay? Is, is your back alright? Yeah. Just a flesh wound. No big deal. Let's keep singing. Totally opposite. To how we would normally look at things. And the grenade went off, and the Philippian jailer and his whole family became believers. The next day, um, the judges come and, and, uh, to follow up on this, and uh, Paul reminds them that it's against the law to whip a Roman citizen without a trial. And the judge didn't even think of asking before the whipping whether they were Romans or not. And suddenly he got real um, shy because he could lose his job for whipping them. And, and so he said, um, just scoot along on your way. And uh, Paul says, no, no, no. You come and apologize publicly and then we'll go. And so the judge came and, and apologizes and says Paul and uh, Silas went back to Lydia's house where they, were, where they had been staying, and he preached another sermon, and then he left. I thought that's brilliant. Um, if we were in that situation, I think we would make real clear before the first whip landed that we were Roman citizens, right? Anything to save it. But <clears throat> But Paul and Silas were totally sold out to the Holy Spirit, that they let the Spirit dictate the agenda rather than than them dictating what was going to happen. And the grenade went off. The third one I want to look at is is Philip. And we don't know a whole lot about Philip. He was one of the 12 disciples. Um, There's not a whole lot said about him. He was one of the guys that... When Jesus said, feed these people to 5,000, Philip says, whoa, where are we going to find all that food? Um, that's what we know about Philip. So anyway, um, it says uh, again in Acts um, chapter 8, if you're looking, following along, starting in verse 26, the Spirit says to Philip, I want you to go out on the desert road between Jerusalem and the Gaza Strip around noon. And so Philip Goes out to the Gaza Strip. And uh, he sees a chariot going by with uh, an Ethiopian guy in it. And the spirit says, go up and talk to the guy. And so, you know the story. Uh, Philip runs along and the guy is reading the text, riding in the chariot. And this is the first instant we have of texting and driving, right? <laughs> and so he says to, to the Ethiopian, do you understand what you're reading? And the guy says, I haven't the foggiest. How, how can I know unless someone explains to me? And so he invites Philip up, and, and uh, Philip says, well, what are you reading? And so he's reading from Isaiah about... Um, the passage where it's it's um, prophesied of of Christ dying or being mistreated and dying, and the Ethiopian said, "Is this is this is he talking about himself or is he talking about somebody else?" And it's like the table is being set for the gospel to be explained, and so so Philip takes the scripture that the Ethiopian is reading, and he explains Jesus and he, and he talks about the, the death and the resurrection and the spirit and all of that and, and it's, it's like a light bulb going on in the Ethiopian's head and, and they pass some water and the Ethiopian says, whoa, whoa, what, what prevents me from being baptized right now? And so Philip baptizes him and then it said, and then Philip is gone and he finds himself in some other town. Isn't that bizarre? That the spirit would so need Philip that he would just take him away and put him somewhere else? And the Ethiopian was the treasurer of Ethiopia. And if you, historically, um, the church in Ethiopia was founded by that guy. And so what the spirit was doing was saying to Philip... I want you to roll a grenade into Ethiopia. And the grenade went off with the treasurer, and the light flash went on and on, and and they're still trickled down today. Now, the interesting thing I, I find about that is that God had a specific role for Philip. He knew that Philip was listening to God. He knew that Philip knew the message, and he knew that he could count on Philip to to pick up on where people were at and to lead him to Christ. And I think the takeaway for us as a church and as, as individuals is, do we know our gospel, and are we prepared to listen and to move when God says, I want you at that cafe at 4 o'clock in the afternoon because someone is going to be in there with trouble. I want you to keep your ears open at work because there's somebody who's going through a divorce that needs to talk with you. I need you when you're walking through your, your neighborhood to be praying for the lights in the windows because there's stuff going on around you that is heartbreaking. And I know that you can dispel the darkness through my spirit. Can I count on you? And that's not, can I count on Micah, can I count on the leadership, can can I count on you? Because the the church as a grenade is not just the leadership, the church is everybody. You could have the most dynamic leadership team, and you could have a church full of slugs, and guess what, that church would be known as a church of slugs, (laughs) right? It's the, the church body that works together. And, and God sees us as a grenade. He sees us as a grenade. When I was um, 17, I, um, I had a friend in Ohio, and um, they were, she was getting married, and invited a few of us down to, to go to this wedding. And so uh, I went down, and, and while I was in Ohio, I went to an Army surplus store, and uh, they were selling grenades. And they were black, and they were different from my friends. They were a little longer, or more like a <laughs> pineapple. And, um, and they, had, they had been bored out, like, so the bottom there just had a big hole in it. But it still had the pin in the top. And it looked scary. And I thought, that is awesome. And so I, I bought it for my friend because he, was, he collected grenades. And so <laughs> I got to the airport. And I checked my bag. I'm standing... I'm standing in the line of security and I've got, you know, the shoulder hippie bag that we all had and the, the leather ones and all the ones I thought, "Rat, I got the grenade with me."
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> and so <laughs> no. <laughs> and so I got up and I said, "Gosh, I, you know, I <laughs> don't be alarmed. No, you know, I I feel really stupid, but I I've got I've got a grenade on me." <laughs> And just like that, there were four guys, like right there, like like really close and I said, "I bought it at an army surplus it 's bored out it's you know and i and I pull it out, <laughs> and the one guy grabs it and he looks at it and and he could see that it was bored out and he said, "Just a minute and he and he walked over to one of the other guys that was going through some suitcases. And he opened his pocket and he stuck it in and said, Grenade! And the guy is shuffled around and he pulls it out and they laugh and laugh. And then he does the most bizarre thing. He comes back and says, Have a nice flight. And he handed it back to me. 1973. Like if that was now, I'd be. Being waterboarded in Gitmo or whatever, right? Like that. <clears throat> anyway, <in clears throat> it's a great story, but I want to tell you what, what the meaning behind it is and how it ties in. In 2 Timothy 3 5, it talks about having a form of godliness but denying its power. And, and, and Paul is saying, Beware. Timothy, because there are people who have a form of godliness, but there's nothing there. They're like a bored-out grenade. They look real, but they're a joke. He said, you will find people who act like a Christian or talk like a Christian, but there's no power there. There's nothing. They're just empty. And he says, avoid those people. And it's... It's very sobering because it's easy to take on a form of godliness. You can go to church every Sunday. You can go to a prayer meeting. You can say grace before meals. You can call yourself a Christian. You can call yourself a Christian family. You can do all of that totally without the spirit living inside of you. And you can go through a whole life playing the game but not seeing any power but that's not how we were called to live. The, the, whole, the whole idea of being a Christian is to have the Spirit of God living in you, leading you into the things that He ordained for you before the foundations of the earth. He knows the people that you're going to see at work tomorrow morning. He knows the, the family that you're in right now and, and all the stuff that's going He knows all that. He knows your fears. He knows your strong points. He knows your your weak points. by you and and they and they're committed to spending time with you every day. And so for the for the next several months, every morning that teenager comes and is sitting in your office with you for 15 minutes. And they do all the talking. And they tell me they tell you about their life and they tell you about their struggles and they tell you about their parents and they tell you about their friends and they tell you about all the things that they're left out about and and you should you should fix this, and you should fix this, and you should fool my parents and tell them this. And they do all the talking. And then after asking a whole bunch of questions, they leave before you answer them. And they come back the next day, and they do the same thing, and they do the same thing. And after a couple of years, they look at you in exasperation and say, I'm getting no help from you at all. You can see where I'm going with this, right? When we go to God and pray, and we do all the talking and ask all the questions, and then not leave any time for God to be speaking back to us, we're that teenager. And we wonder, why are we not getting any power? Why why am I not seeing your power at work in me? Now, if if Paul and Silas said, Jesus, um, just give us a glowing ministry here in in Philippi and uh, don't let anything happen to us. Keep us safe. Amen. They would have missed out on the beating. They would have missed out on ministering to the other prisoners in the dungeon. And they would have missed out on the Philippian jailer coming and his whole family becoming Christians. They would have missed out on all of that. Are we missing out on a whole lot because we're not listening? One of the best things we can do in our devotions is to shut up to just listen really what do what do we know? We think we need to tell God you know to to fix this to heal that to, to change that person to change these kids, to, to change, change, change. But what what is God really up to? Are we fitting Jesus into our agenda? Or are we saying to Jesus, give me your agenda. Give me your agenda. And it's scary giving God a blank sheet and saying, here, fill, fill this out for my day. There's a a school, uh, Cape and Ray Hall. It's the one where Micah and Liel met at. And uh, that's the Bible school that that they went to. It's in England. And um, it's Cape and Ray. They have them all over the world. And and, um, Karen and I both went to to Cape and Ray. We met at the one in New Zealand. But um, the the Cape and Ray Hall, the the original one, was bought by a couple um, army officers, English officers, who after the war had an itinerant ministry around England and Europe, um, speaking and and leading a lot of people who were disillusioned after the war, who were sort of at loose ends, not knowing what to do. And in the early 50s, they bought this castle uh, called Capon Ray Hall and converted it to a a Bible school where they would run um, several Bible schools a year. and, And over the years... Hundreds of thousands of students have, have gone to the school. And uh, last summer, some friends of ours were, were here and they were part of the Cape and Ray circle too and we were, were sitting out on the har- in the harbour on their boat and he said that uh, some friends of theirs were part of of this uh, Cape and Ray. Um, they had to get accredited for visas. and Anyway, it, it went from being a... Uh, a family-run ministry and now it's sort of a a much bigger thing and so they had to tighten up a whole lot of of sloppy areas and so they went in and they redid the kitchen they did a big commercial kitchen and then they had to clean out a whole bunch of the shops and garages and stuff and while they were cleaning out the shop they found a bomb from second world war and you know one of these ones that they drop from a plane and it you know it's like you'd see on road runner you know like the the bomb with the fins on the back that they would fly over and they would you know drop hundreds of them or whatever and and they would come down and the weight in the nose would shoot the little tri- um trigger mechanism that would explode them and so i guess somehow this was a dud or it may have hit a tree or something on the way down and instead of landing Heavy and down, it landed on its side and nothing happened. And somehow it found its way into the shop of Cape and Ray's lodge, of Cape and Ray's castle. And so the people who were doing this pig cleanup, they found it and they thought, whoa, what do we do? You know, is it just a cool lamp or whatever? And then somebody said, the thing might still be live. They thought, well, that's 80 years ago. And so to be safe, they called. The bomb squad, no big deal, but we found you know a bomb, and and so these these guys came out with with a van and a trailer and these you know spacesuits all with all the protective stuff, and they get the bomb, and and everybody at the school is kind of rolling their eyes, thinking you know guys this is a little over the top, right? And they they put it in the trailer and they do whatever, and the thing explodes, and so for. 60 years as Cape and Ray's been running this Bible school, there's been thousands and thousands of young people who have been going through the garage or the shop or whatever, and nobody thought to, you know, hit it with a ball-peen hammer or whatever to see see what's going on. Micah may have seen it. Who knows, right? And it was live. And so the reason I tell you that story is because I'm guessing that there's people here who many, many years ago didn't see things happen the way that they wanted to see happen in their Christian life. Where they had expectations where, where God would act. They and so they've retreated into their shop, and they've piled up, the debris of life around them. And they've just packed away that whole power side of who they are and are accepting something far less than what God had created for them. And I'm here to tell you that that power is still there. And you can ignite it. It's still good after all these years. That if god can still use you in the kingdom and he still got a job for you to do at fighting off the enemy not too late i find that really exciting there's there's 11 words if you don't write down anything else aside from the scriptures write this down do what you can with what you've got where you are do what you can with what you've got where you are. So work it backwards. Where are you? Well, we're in prison. We're in the deepest dungeon, and we're chained with our feet in stock. And hey, we can sing. We can pray with what you've got. We've got the Spirit of God alive in us. We're good. And let God do his agenda through you. Sometimes we get this illusion that uh man, because I'm in full-time Christian service, I'm just going nowhere. I'm just I'm just spinning my wheels. I can't sing, I can't speak, I can't do nothing. Well, where are you? Where has God put you? Well, He just put me on this job in the factory. Okay. What have you got? Well, I've got people around me. I've i 've got my health i 've <clears throat> what can you do? Well, I can invite the Spirit of God into this situation and to show me how He wants me to be a grenade here in the factory home here in my neighborhood He can use you wherever he wants He knows where you are because he 's put you there in the first place, and so if he 's put you there and he 's put the power of God in you he 's put a grenade in you it 's only obvious that he 's going to use you there he can't use you where you aren't, which means he can use you where you are last night i uh I phoned my son Dylan and he, li- he lives in vancouver and he's he 's really involved in this this church in East Vancouver. Right in the midst of the, the drug and the squalor and whatever, it's 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 a real eye opener to see what's going on. And if you haven't driven down East Hastings lately, it's uh, it's bizarre. And so I asked him uh, how his how his New Year's was, and he said that um, their church they have a big old church right right down one block off of East Hastings, and he said on New Year's they decided to have a a New Year's Eve service where it would start at 9 and it would go until after midnight. And the the pastor was going to speak from 9 until 10, and then they were going to have sort of a worship um, thing for the next couple hours. And he said um, the pastor was over at his his office, which is a few blocks away, and um, Dylan was going to pick him up from there and drive him to the church. So he said he got over there, and uh, the pastor wasn't quite ready, and he was waiting around. And he said, you know, I'm watching the clock, and I know there's people waiting. And he said I hinted that we should likely get going. And the guy said, yeah, yeah, I just got to finish this up and get some stuff ready with the projector, or whatever. And, and Dylan said, finally, they got going. And he said they they came around the corner of uh, East Hastings and Clark, and he said a truck had barreled through. Something and it hit this lady and she went flying and she was just lying on a heap on the sidewalk. And he said, um, another car had kind of stopped and and he pulled over and and a, and a cop was there and and the cop motioned that he could go through and then he cordoned it off. And so Dylan jumped out of the truck and and he went back and and there was a a lady he said she was like late 60s. And she's just covered in blood, and she's lying there. And and the other woman that had run up was was one of their elders from the church, who was a nurse. And she was <clears throat> holding the the woman's wrist, um, trying to get a pulse. And she said her her breathing was just going um, shallower and shallower, and her pulse was getting really faint. And she said to Dylan that she was just waiting for her pulse to stop, and then she was going to start giving her CPR. And Dylan said that he put his hand under her head and and cradled her, and he said all he could do was cry out to God and pray that he was the one who gave her life to begin with and to breathe back into her again. And as he was praying, he said another couple came along, and somebody had an umbrella and was was holding over. It was just bucketing rain, and he said her, her face was covered in blood and the rain, and and he just kept praying and praying into her. And then the nurse started praying as well. And he said they could hear the they could hear the sirens in the distance, and um, he said they the two of them got louder and louder in their praying. And he said, all of a sudden, the woman did the <gasps> and she sat up and looked she said looked at them really quizzical, like she couldn't really comprehend what was going on <laughs> and then she she was she was trying to get up, but they wanted to keep her down because of spinal injuries or whatever and then Dylan said the ambulance came, and he said he he took his hand out as the ambulance attendant put his in and they they carried her away. And I said, like, so what happened? And he said, we checked with the police and all they would say was there was no one who died on New Year's Eve on East Hastings. Um, But that's all they could find out. But I'm thinking, God knew that Dylan was on his way there. He knew that the, the elder's wife, who was the nurse, was on her way there. And he needed to stall them for a few minutes, getting stuff ready, so that they would be first on the scene. And the nurse came to Dylan later on and, and said she was really convicted because she said, my training kicked in where I was looking at the medical end of it, feeling the pulse, waiting, waiting for it to stop, Ready with CPR, uh, and she said, "Your impulse was to immediately start praying, and I 'm thinking, as Christians, that should be our that should be our impulse, that should be our go to when we 're in the middle of something we don't understand or we, we can't figure out, our first impulse should be we need to pray, we, we need to lift this up." Now, the doors are wide open for ministry in this year ahead. Every one of us live near people who are not Christians. We work with people who are not Christians. We're surrounded in our neighborhoods. It's, um, it's a very non-Christian island. And God sees our church as a grenade. And not just as a collective big grenades, but it's made up of all these little grenades. And he's counting on us to pull the pin and to let her go. And he'll direct us as we get into it. This whole combatant thing that that Randy saw ties in perfectly. I was was doing the yes when he said that this morning. Because it's confirmation that God is part of what's going on. Not just a part of it. We are a part of what's going on with God. So I'm going to invite you to stand and I want to pray over us as a, as a collection of grenades in what is about to happen in 2020. Okay. I want to share something as a 911 responder.
1: Um, one time I was called... Um, to respond to this call, and uh, I knew the address. So I pulled up, and I was the first on scene. And when I got on scene, um, Michelle was already in prayer. And uh, she was knelt over Jimmy. He had passed away already. And uh, I joined Michelle, and God granted Jimmy a lot longer
0: because he lived a little longer. And that was through prayer, that God granted him more time to God's in control. It's never over. Let's pray. Father, we live in explosive times, and there's so much going on in the news right now that uh, it seems like the enemy is totally in control. And Father, we know the end of the story. We've read the book. We know that you are victorious. And Father, as a church, now we want to commit ourselves to serving you and to be the grenades when you need to roll them into dark, to dark spots. And you know each of us here. You know our situations. You know our circumstances. You know our fears. And you know, Lord... Um, the, the areas that need to be touched by the Spirit within us. Father, may we be open to be used by you. May we not shrink back when opportunities arise, but may we step forward boldly and say, here I am, Lord, use me. Father, we set aside our own agenda, and we take on your agenda, and we pray that your will would be done in our lives, thank you, Father, for each other. Thank you that we can lean on each other and, and pray with each other and and that we do have this um, refuge where Sundays we can come together and grow and, and move and and plan where we go from here so father may this may this year be one of um, of gain and of, of ground one for you. And we thank you, Father, for your spirit and for his work in our lives. So we commit ourselves to all that you have for us and pray these things in the powerful, explosive name of Jesus. Amen.